Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special holiday edition of Your Doctor Friends. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So we loved the episode, our like kind of clip show episode that we did to rein in the uh, name change, which was episode, I don't even know, however long ago, but this is going to be episode 30, so that's a nice round number. Um, And uh, with the upcoming holidays, we thought it'd be really fun to go back to all of the fun voicemails that we've gotten from the friends of our doctor friends um, and answer some of the fun, interesting, and often ridiculous questions that came up because we had a boon of those and we have plenty more to play with. So what, what do you think yeah. about that? Jerry? Well, it's, and it's been so long that I don't remember what what's in there. So, and, <laughs> and, and I made a huge point of not looking, so this is going to be interesting. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I was laughing about was you were like, this is a special holiday episode of your doctor friends. And I couldn't tell if it's like exactly what you'd want for your holidays to hear from your doctor friends. Cause everybody's <laughs> like getting together and going to be sick. And they're, you know, everybody's going to be talking about like something that's hurting on them or some surgery that they had. Yeah. Right. Um, or if it's like, why would I listen to a doctor? episode on holiday week so that was what made me laugh but i'm excited that you everybody's here to listen to us uh ramble about some questions that we've never heard before what do you think <laughs> i i can't couldn't think of a, of a better way to spend the week before christmas yeah uh we we've been this is episode 30 30 episodes and we've never taken a week off since we started um so we're going to um <laughs> So let's so, let's do that. <laughs> yeah. So listen, uh, we are going to this is gonna be our last episode of 2022. We hope that uh, everybody has an amazing holiday season and a fresh new year. And we um, will plan to meet back up with everybody in 2023. Should we start? Let's do it. Welcome to your doctor friends, the show that teaches you to sniff out the garbage and answers all the questions that you wish you could call or text your doctor friend. My name's Julie Bruni. And I'm Jeremy Allen. And we are two physicians who work at a nationally ranked practice and take care of some of the world's greatest athletes. We know that you have questions and we want to help. We want to be your doctor friends. All right. So the rules to this is that I don't think I've listened to any of these clips since they were originally sent to me. And the ones that were sent to Jeremy, Jeremy knows about, and the ones that were sent to me, I know about. And, but it was months ago. I, yeah, like, and never these the are dated July. Meet. Yeah, right, exactly. So I don't remember any of this stuff. Right, so the ones that I'm playing for Jeremy, he's never heard before, so I think it's fun that the rules are, it's, it'll be a, a, a blind react. There's one part. rule in your doctor friends, friends of your doctor friends, and that's not to talk about friends of your doctor friends. <laughs> Are you rolling the you, first? You... Are you rolling the first clip? Am I the one that's going to be uh, surprised? The first one? Sure. There was a All lot right. of uh, P related ones, so I'm sure. going to start off with one of those. Let's talk so about here's, urine. Here's all of your friend and mine, um, our X-ray technician, who I adore, Lee, and she had a question. Why does my urine smell after I eat asparagus? Okay, so I actually don't know this answer. Do you? I mean, my stock answer is probably the one that if you Googled it, you probably figure out it's like there's some chemical that gets broken down because like it doesn't smell like asparagus when you pee. Like asparagus pee doesn't smell like asparagus to me. It smells like some other awful thing that has been created. So I'm assuming that there is some chemical in inherent within the vegetable asparagus that once your body metabolizes it and it goes through your you know, 
you you digest it and then it turns and you through you and it, gets, <laughs> it gets filtered into your urine it turns into some other thing and that thing smells weird but it I, uh, seems to I, happen I go, immediately like within i, I just yes it the first pee <laughs> well the asparagus just goes right through you you know <laughs> you know what I, they uh, say about I, asparagus i just googled it and i oh, love the nice. answer the asparagusic acid I don't know if I'm saying that right or if that's made up. This is Healthline, but it looks like Cleveland Clinic below that says that too. So this is a real thing. Asparagusic acid or asparagusic acid okay. in, a, in asparagus produces many sulfurous byproducts that give your pee a rotten-like smell. The smell can be detected as early as 15 minutes after eating yeah. asparagus. It may last up to 14 hours. That's some serious pee roughage. Have you, have you ever been surprised by... Uh, the fact that you didn't know that you just had asparagus, but then you know after the fact because you pee and it smells weird. Yes, I thought you were heading towards yes. If I walked into a bathroom where it was asparagus bombed by the person before <laughs> me, like what did happen? Didn't he? Oh, asparagus! There was asparagus at dinner. <laughs> that's so true. I didn't, I didn't <laughs> so uh, th- I mean, that's I mean, I think asparagus is one of the reasons why the scented candles are around for the holiday parties when you're serving asparagus is to not have. <laughs> But I definitely think at dinner time uh, over the holidays, I'm going to be talking about asparagusic acid. People are going to think I'm full of shit, but I'm going to say, listen to this podcast. <laughs> Check your Google. It. Check your Google. It's it's a real thing. All right. We're starting strong here. It's strong like the smell of asparagus pee. Uh, okay. What do I want? What do I want to go to? All right. This is um, a friend of ours who works with us and has a common question. Hey, doctor friends, I think I injured my rotary cuff. Am I going to need surgery for that? That's Jack. Jack's Jack. one of my favorite people in the whole wide world. What's a rotary cup and what part What's of my body rotary... is in it? Yeah, <laughs> your rotary cup has nothing to do with your urinary system. Uh, I think it's a it's a common m- mispronunciation of rotator cuff, which really even like, I guess I would love to look at the origin of the word rotator cuff. Even that doesn't really like make good grammatical sense to me because the rotor, the rotary cuff or the rotator cuff is a series of four muscles, kind of the small intrinsic muscles of your shoulder that um, the way that I think of it is like kind of are not the big power muscles of your shoulder, but they're kind of the stability muscles. So you're activating your rotator cuff every time you're doing any anything like me holding my kombucha right now. My rotator cuff is firing. Um, and those are the the muscles that people think about when they irritate or strain or, you know, they hear about when they like people think of their knee, they think of their ACL. People think of their elbow, they think of their Tommy John ligament. People think of their shoulder, they think of the rotator cuff. And those, cause those are like the com- more commonly injured structures that get talked about a lot. And, uh, you know, sometimes need to be operated on if they're torn, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I recently learned that the dictionary actually changes its definitions of words based on the way we use them, that it's yeah. not, not actually always in there like that. So I'm thinking that actually rotary cup should be the new word going into 2023. <laughs> and uh, Jack just emphasized that for us. That's the real reason why I wanted to play that. We're done with rotator cuff. Rotary cup is in. It's <laughs> Rotator cuff out, rotary cup in for 2023. So hot right now. So hot right now. <laughs> All right. Um, I'm waiting I have another, here's another P1 here. if you wanted another, just go on that theme and that's all my P1s. Sure. Only, yeah. Hang on. I gotta go pee. <laughs> okay. I'll give you a second. Okay. Now we're back. This is my sister, Kate. Hey, Dr. Bruns. I'm just wondering why after I drink coffee, does my BO and urine smell like coffee? It's pretty gross. <laughs> 
I'm guessing for similar reasons as the pee. I think it's asparagusic acid. <laughs> I think it's coffagusic ca- acid. I'm looking it up right now. It says that coffagusic acid. Uh... <laughs> You're full of shit. <laughs> but it is, it is interesting, I feel like. Well, Kate seems to think it's into like other exocrine function regions, too. I'm loving the answer from Healthline on this one. Having urine that smells like coffee can be alarming at first, but usually it just means you've had too much coffee. <laughs> Try to cut back on your daily coffee intake and drink more water. If your that urine continues brutal. to have an unusual smell, talk to your doctor. So that didn't help anybody. <laughs> they are. Thanks. This is what they're doing. <laughs> I do think this is a common concern is my pee smells weird. I, I, I also think it harkens back to like old timey medicine of like analyzing pee you know, because it's a relatively easy and non-invasive thing to look into, but it reminds me of how old-timey physicians used to test for diabetes by basically yeah. just like drinking children's urine and seeing if it tasted sweet, which is probably the grossest thing I could ever think of. Yeah, yeah, uh, and we also put up that chart of like the different colors, and mm-hmm. you know, like we do that at, like with our uh, college athletes and stuff, so mm-hmm. that they can make sure that they're hydrated. You know, like compare the color coming out of you to the thing in front of you. Here, I'm going to send you a link to the men's health. Uh, um, I, I really like the title of why does my pee smell like coffee uh, um, topic they have. If, if your pee smells like coffee, don't freak out is the name of the <laughs> title. And scroll down to that first question and enlighten us with what that says. Because men's health answers everything. Why does my urine smell like coffee? Yeah, what, what do you answer? see there? Sure, anything basically, in there that would be helpful. Yeah, basically, it's because you're urinating coffee. Oh. <laughs> no shit. <laughs> <laughs> no, not shit. Piss. Uh, yeah, uh, urine in your, is your body's way of getting rid of waste products from your blood through your kidneys. This waste is what gives urine its distinctive smell and odor. Eating and drinking certain things, including coffee, can change the scent of your urine. We've established that through three questions on this. <laughs> uh, certain ingredients in coffee, including antioxidant polyphenols, such as hydroxycinamic acids, give it its signature smell and health benefits. When they're broken down, they become waste products called metabolites, and they go in your urine, and they smell funny. Um, does it mean there's something wrong with my body? Do you have to drink a certain <laughs> amount of coffee for this to happen? Everyone's different. For some people, yeah. it might just be one cup. Why would it only smell sometimes? Yeah, this is really a great article. <laughs> I'll send this to Kate. Yes, this is this is. <laughs> when in doubt, go to Men's Health. <laughs> Good call. Does it does it happen with decaf? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we've 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 really hit the urine questions. Yeah, it's funny. I don't. I honestly have no idea what's in any of these. So I'm. They're all titled. So they do. I. I. I feel like I know a little bit about what I'm about to get, but I. I honestly have no idea what's going to be in here. I'm excited. All right. This one's called Ashley and Kid Boogers. So we're going to listen to it. <laughs> Hi, Doctor Friends. How come my three-year-old son eats his boogers and says they're yummy and salty? Thanks. There's got to be a You're toddler a dad. book out there for that. Tell me why kids eat their boogers. I don't know. Doesn't everybody do that? No? Yeah, I think that there's a book called Everybody Eats Their Boogers, right? It's, it's next to the convenient. Everybody Poops book. It's very, con- <laughs> it's a very convenient way to dispose of them without yeah. sharing too much. All right. Let's see what Google has to say about this one. So far, I've Googled almost every one of these. <laughs> We're answers. basically just doing web searches for everybody's questions. Why right do toddlers... Eat their boogers. Oh, the first, it, it was it was smart filling it in with poop. That was gross. Oh. Kids eat boogers because they are salty. 
this is from unitypoint.org. Most kids pick their noses and eat their boogers because they taste salty. Try using positive reinforcement to stop this behavior. Why are they? What? So I the, guess she said her is, kids' boogers are salty. I don't think of boogers as being salty. This is implying that it's actually because they 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 like the taste. I don't know if that's true or not. I think it's just an easy way to dispose of a thing that's on your hand now. All right, I don't think we're going to help anybody with this one. We've already. <laughs> I think. I, I think. I think we should pass. Go to the next one. Okay. Um. And this this is a good one. Uh. I love how you know what's in these. I have vague memories of this. This is my cousin Chrissy. Hey, doctor friends. One of my kids had a question about nails. What are nails? How do they grow and work? It's a valid question. It is a valid question. So, um, do you have an answer to that valid question? I, I mean, they're... <laughs> I just went silent. I was like, that's a great question. Let me answer that. Fuck. Well, it's like, you know, like <laughs> I know they're made of keratin, right? Um, I, Keratin, I assume... more like Schmeritin. Oh, goodness gracious. This is, this is quickly spiraling. I have a Christmas hat on. You do. It's very cute. Um, yeah, they're basically, you know, they grow out from your nail beds, which is at like, you know, the, the sort of half moon area of some of your nails. And they grow outwards. And they're made of uh, hard keratin type material. Uh, and I'm sure there's some sort of um, evolutionary thing that came from our ancestors that had claws and needed claws for things. Yeah, you think they serve a purpose? Is that what you're saying? I mean, they well, they certainly do for the previous boogers question. Yeah, I the, the only thing I remember about nails, other than treating medical problems in them, is that the fingers grow way faster than the toes, and that's real. So if you've ever yes. wondered, like, why do my toes and my fingers grow at different lengths? It's because they actually do. So if you ever get like a huge bruise on like your toenail, it's yeah. going to be there for like forever. And if you get it on your finger, it's gone in like a couple of weeks. That's that's what I remember about nails. But yeah. yes, keratin. I think yes. I always thought it was like dead stuff, but I think you're right. No, I, think I mean, it's, it's just actually it's just like, keratin that's growing from a nail bed. Right. And it's just like it's more concentrated and it's growing out and that's why it's more stiff. It's the same stuff that makes up your hair. Yeah. And um, also, interestingly, uninner- not innervated, right? Like the nail correct. itself doesn't hurt. So like you can yeah, do your visible everyone. nails are dead is yeah. Yeah, what you were saying. They yeah. grow under your skin and as they grow, they push the old ones out through your skin. So what you're seeing are dead cells. That's why it doesn't hurt to cut your nails. I think we've, I think we nailed that one. Well, and, and anybody, it's also weird when you look at it with uh, like other animals. So like when I cut my cat's claws, they have the like little wick in it. If you cut it too short, then you hurt them. I'm glad we don't have like weird bloody parts. <laughs> I guess if you go deep enough, you do. You don't have any dew claws? No, I do not. <laughs> All right. I, my, my friend Adam apparently asked us something about eggs. Let's see what that's about. <laughs> okay. Hi, doctor friend. Where do you stand on eggs? Are they good? Are they bad? You tell me. I, as someone who doesn't eat uh, meat, I mean fish, I love eggs. I think they're great. I think there was a weird time in dietetics where there was putting the kibosh on eggs, uh, probably in the whole like, we should eliminate any type of fat from the American diet time um and it was like eggs have too much cholesterol and it's like mm, but the cholesterol they have in them is not necessarily all that bad for you um i'm pro egg 
and I pro pro egg. You heard it here first. No, I think <laughs> I, I think you hit on something um, um, just in, in all seriousness on on that. That's really interesting because you know we 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 do diet nutrition on this podcast mm -hmm. and through the evolution of diet nutrition, which changes frequently, you know, like the, the words fat and cholesterol on food yeah, and then fat and cholesterol anatomically or biologically get linked, but they're not the same. Right. right. Like, and so because of that, I think for a long time, people, there was all this, you know, research coming out that, you know, high cholesterol is bad for you and you shouldn't have high cholesterol. And you're like, oh my God, eggs have high cholesterol. We shouldn't have eggs. And then any other food that had that or like high fat is bad for you. Remember that time of like, yeah. you know, like, yeah, that was like, welcome to the nineties. Yeah. Welcome right. So we're all just years. <laughs> shoving down like sugary mm -hmm. fatless stuff. And you know, that wasn't good for us either. So, um, I, I, and then also like there's, there was the movement, like don't eat the egg yolk, you know, it only mm -hmm. have the whites. Cause that's got all the good stuff. And then, then there's the next part where like definitely have the yolk in there because otherwise you're not getting the whole nutrition part of it. Right. I, I think personally, IMO, in my opinion, <laughs> eggs are good. They're high in nutritious stuff. You should have the whole egg. Don't, don't necessarily try to skip out one part or the other unless the recipe needs it. Or if you're having right. a really good cocktail that has that egg white floating on top. Mm, <laughs> I love some of those good cocktails that got the, like, I wouldn't put the yolk in that. That probably doesn't give them the taste yeah, very good. Right, exactly. um, but, but uh, yeah, pro egg on this side of the microphone as well. Um, you know, make them every which way. Breakfast for dinner is a, is a popular one in my house with the kids. So <laughs> yes, very you know. easy. So I think we've, we've established where we sit on eggs. I like that. And uh, no, no kickbacks from the egg lobby, by the way, on this podcast. No. <laughs> well, I know they're high in protein. They're high in certain vitamins like vitamin D, vitamin A. Um, I Yeah, I love eggs. I put them in a lot of stuff. I think it's a nice way of getting some good protein into your diet as well. That is quite palatable. Some people have egg sensitivities, obviously, but, you know. Um, this might be a multi-parter, so we could either edit out what we don't feel like answering or uh or just answer them all this is my sister maggie hi doctor friends i've got a few questions hope you can answer them for me why do i get hair everywhere why is sleep so important and how can i get the best of it do everybody's armpit sweat or am i weird question mark last what vitamins are truly important the ones i can't go without taking um so i don't know if we can answer all of those why? It's just basically like, how do I sustain life for myself? <laughs> well, I, I hope she doesn't get hair everywhere. Right. And, and I do think that genetically or like hormonally speaking, men and women get hair in different places to a certain extent, right? I mean, Sure, I think so. so. Um, but why do you get hair everywhere? I think because you're born with hair follicles. Is that a reasonable enough answer? Yeah, exactly. And so with, you know, with different levels of what I would ex expect to be hormonal or endocrine related stimulation. You can have hair growth in other regions, more, more, some regions more than others. Yeah. And then the concept of like stimulating the follicle makes it grow. So if you cut the end of a hair, then it will grow longer. But if you take out the follicles, so like wax it, then in theory it grows back, not, you know, like it doesn't come back as fast and it comes back uh, not as thick as it was before. And over time, maybe even damages the follicle and it never comes back. I, I would love to have an entire episode on, on follicles, hair, hair stuff. I think that would be a great one. I think we had some plans to do that, and I would like to revisit that because I feel thanks, like... Maggie. We're gonna do a hair. We're gonna do a hair episode. <laughs> well, because I have another. I had a good one from my my brother in law Jake about hair things and hair texture and stuff. And I just feel like there's so many great questions about hair because there's so many other, you know, it, uh, hair could be very 
personal and it can be very, I don't know, important. And um, it can like, you know, manifest your style and, um, and a lot of different things. So I think hair is an interesting one and people, how do they get more hair and how do they get rid of hair? And it's just sort of a fun. Yeah. And why is every other billboard on the highway about hair? Yeah. Well, and hair and like Maggie's other question about sweat go together a bit because mm-hmm. where there are hair follicles, there are usually sweat glands and there's depending on, you know, usually where there's concentrations of hair, like in armpits and pubic area and stuff, you have different types of sweat glands, which is your, your stinky ones, your apocrine glands. Um, I don't know if this is answering her question or not, but yes, everybody sweats. Uh, I think there's different levels to how much you sweat and where and which sweat um, glands are being stimulated by like stress and which are just being stimulated by like trying to help you dissipate heat, you know? Yeah, I think the the sweat thing is an interesting one, too, because like then we use deodorants versus antiperspirants and Mm -hmm. antiperspirants. So I think that's that's a good that's a good topic. I think we could talk about sweat. It's another one. I, I also sweat. think that she asked another one about sleep. Like mm. sleep, we're going to definitely do a, a couple episodes on. We've yes. had a few requests about sleep. So I don't think that's a year doctor friends one, but um, I think that's going to be a multiple. So so those are all good. I think the one that we answered, what was the other one? Vitamins? Vitamins is yeah. such a huge we topic. We have to do another so, whole thing about vitamins. Yeah, vitamins yeah, can cause... take forever. So we're definitely going to do that too. So, so the first one is the one we answered, hair. <laughs> yeah, let's stick with that one. Okay. Uh, shit, I don't know what any of these are. Good. Let's let's do. I mean, this one speaks right to me. I don't know what it's about to say, but it says Aaron, baby, daredevil concussion. That sounds fun. <laughs> My son appears to have been born without um, an instinct for self-preservation. He is constantly using his head to bounce off of things, run into things, catch his body with, and they're A lot of these hits are pretty hard. Uh, my husband wants to get a helmet for him, like kind of like a motorcycle helmet, because again, some of these hits are pretty hard. And like, uh, is he getting concussions? And is there any way to get him to want to um, val you know, value his life. Um, just the other day, he just tried to dive headfirst off the changing table for no reason. Uh, please advise. Please advise. Please advise. <laughs> That's my, my friend, Aaron, who I adore. Yeah, Aaron, your child dove off the uh, um, changing table, not for no reason, but for a reason. And the reason was because he can. Because toddlers he, love boundaries because they like to jump right over them. Who knew gravity existed until they tried it out? <laughs> so, but I do think that there's some interesting tidbits in here. First of all, like <laughs> kids hit their heads all the time, but also remember that the kids like body weight is like a third, if not more their head. head. So like if you've ever seen like an image of like peewee football, like that'll answer your question. Cause like basically they're all heads. It's just yes. like running like helmets, which is why there shouldn't be peewee football with helmets. But that's a different topic. But the point right. is, is like they hit their heads a lot because they're he- they're top heavy. And so when yes. they're falling over or doing things, uh, they they hit things. And then the other thing, too, is they um, have very poor like 
uh, proprioception, knowing where they are in space. So, I, I mean, my son does this all the time too. And my daughter does too, but my son way more. So I maybe maybe boys do it more based on an N of two here. But the uh, <laughs> well, I think your son and Aaron's son are around the same age. They're like yes, toddler three. age. Yeah, yeah. three. Yep. He mm-hmm. he like uh, the, I'll tell a quick anecdote about a recent head thing. He hit his head on a table when he was going to go down to get something. His head hit the <laughs> table going down, so he was kind of like crying about it, and he was like bending down onto me to like cry about it. And then he went to get up from that position and hit the back of his head on the table on the way up. <laughs> Logan. <laughs> and you're just like, yep, that's, that's that that sums it up. So I'm sure that uh, the any listener with a three year old uh, understands that. I think one of the interesting questions that I will pose to you, Julie, is like, do you, don't you feel like you never really hear about toddlers getting concussions, though? Yeah, I'm sure it's possible, right? Well, I guess there, there's it's hard to know for sure. I don't know. I would love to look into some research. I think concussion, we could do several episodes about that. And I think you and I have a fair amount of knowledge about concussion and concussion management and stuff, but I certainly think that we could have different experts on to talk about it. And I know some really great people, but like, how would you necessarily screen for concussion? I don't know. Like you can't, you don't have even like the child scat, the, um, scat is a like a, uh, a, a testing screening test for concussion for adults and children. Like even I think that one only what's child scat starts at like, hold on. Five to 12 years of age. So, yeah, so it doesn't even include a three-year-old. So how do you, yeah, yeah, how do you evaluate it? Cause I don't think that they like, they're, they're, it'd be hard to like screen for it and like looking for symptoms, I guess like very clear, like severe symptoms. Like if they had coordination issues or were like, speaking differently than normal or a very sleep, you know, like, I guess you could, you could behavior that, changes, but, which is how we do a yeah. lot of things in kids. But I am on Lurie's website and it says to compare to all other age groups, children under the age of four years old have the highest incident rates of TBI of, of concussion. That, I find that surprising. Like who's making those diagnoses? That's interesting to me. I just, I, I we get asked, I get asked this a lot. Like they, mm-hmm. do you think they have a concussion? And I also think whenever you watch TV shows and somebody gets like a, some sort of injury and they're like, immediately they're like, okay, no concussion. Or they have a concussion. They make the decision. <laughs> Yeah. like in two seconds yeah. and you're like okay that's just like not how it works like but, they have a, like an accu check that says like oh he touches your blood and the concussion test came back negative and it's yeah like, but because that's what they're work. seeing because that's yeah. what they're seeing that's the natural thought at home too is like they have a concussion or they don't have a concussion it's kind of mm-hmm. like it, it doesn't concussion is going to be a good episode you're right the other thing that i think is interesting here that gets brought up a lot at um, pediatric appointments is injury prevention is basically mm-hmm. one of the biggest things you can be doing at this age group right when you think about what happens to this age group besides colds, it's like injury prevention stuff. And so the the top causes of injuries. And so, you know, you have to make sure like around this age group, actually drowning for a long time was one of the biggest ones. You don't want open bottles or open things of water and swimming pools and stuff. But uh, unfortunately, guns have become the number one cause in all of kids, unfortunately. So like don't have loaded guns or any sort of guns that kids can access, but things like gates at stairs, right? And then like padding corners and, you know, I guess you could put a helmet on your kid, but it probably wouldn't stop a concussion. It would just stop like the lacerations and, and traumatic stuff. Yeah. Well, cause I mean, I know this goes around in, in our concussion, you know, um, education that we give to patients and parents that there's, there's no proven head apparatus or helmet that mm-hmm. prevents concussion, you know, totally. bike helmets and motorcycle helmets and helmets being used in collision sports are, are meant to prevent skull fractures <laughs> and they're good at that real yeah. good at that not good at and have have no bearing on and uh improving the rate of concussion 
Um, but certainly a lot of money has been spent on trying to find sure. the perfect helmet. That Where there's that. a buck that can be made. Yeah, I think I think to summarize, I don't think I'd be worried about your son hitting his head all the time. I think that that's probably pretty normal. I also think that there probably aren't concussions, but I guess look for behavioral changes. And then even in that case, you're kind of treating conservatively anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I guess you can put a helmet on them, but I would worry that makes the head even heavier and they'll hit their head more. Yeah, for sure. Next. Um, this is a good one. I had already listened to this one. So that's why I was kind of like, we might have to trim it a little bit because there's a little whatever. But uh, this is from our um, uh, mental health expert, Rose Mativier. Okay. So this, was a, this was a good one. My question to my doctor friends that can provide me so much insight is, um, how much do you bother a doctor to schedule? I feel badly when I'm trying to schedule with my primary care physician and they're booked out forever and ever. So if I have an urgent issue, I just go to urgent care and I basically see my primary care physician for an annual physical. And I'm not sure if that's how I'm supposed to be doing it, but I'm not sure if I should be asking to see my primary care physician for urgent issues in a different way. Help. What's the protocol? I, I love that question. That yeah, yeah, could be its, it's own good... episode, but I think we could we could spitball some ideas. I think it kind of harkens back a little bit to like, why can't I call my doctor? Like, you know, remember some of our earlier episodes about yeah. like the frustrations about getting a question answered or something in a timely fashion. And I think, well, I'll let you answer, but... Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of different aspects to that. Um, and I also think that there's probably not one great answer to it because every doctor's a little bit different, unfortunately. Like everybody's system's a little different. And I think we could be talking about what the ideal is and like mm-hmm. what the reality is. And they're probably somewhere in the middle. But so in an ideal world, the answer to this question is you should be using your primary care physician for everything. And the reason for that is they know your history, they know you, and so if you have an issue, they are going to be the best at treating you versus somebody who's never met you before and is just dealing with an acute complaint and may not know your history or what medications you're taking or what you've done in the past or even your personality to be able to like, you know, reassure you and also say, listen, if it's not getting better in a few days, let us know versus having to go back to an urgent care again um, and you can send a message. So I think in an ideal world, you're seeing your primary care physician and I know a lot of primary care offices in an effort to combat urgent cares, right? Because business is business, mm-hmm. keep same day appointments open. So when you call up and you need a same day appointment, they can possibly take you. Now, the asterisk there, and this happens even with you and me, Julie, is those same day appointments are not meant for other stuff. So if you call up and you're like, my, you know, I've got a sore throat and I'm sick and I want to be seen today, they'll see you potentially if they have an opening, obviously, for those mm-hmm. same day visits. But if you come in and you're like, also, I want to see if my blood pressure medicines were correct and also my diabetes things here, like they can't do that because that's not how those things are scheduled. Same thing when somebody comes in and they say like they rolled their ankle and they want to see us and they're also like, also, my left shoulder has been hurting me forever. And you're like, yeah. the way that we scheduled this for the same day visit was to squeeze you in into a same day visit slot that we schedule intentionally to be able to take care of that thing that happened. And so, and again, it's just not communicated well. So people can get upset about that. They're like, I'm here. I just want to take care of everything. And as the doctor, you're like, I know you're here and I know you want to take care of everything, but I can't do everything right now. So, um, the other thing too, is primary care offices are only open at certain times. Urgent Mm -hmm. care sometimes have different hours. Although I will say urgent cares, the more and more I look seem to be doing regular hours. (laughs) It's like Mm -hmm. primary care offices. Like, I just don't know. There's just not a ton of them that are open to like 9 PM anymore um, because they have to get people to work those shifts. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I think there's a time and place for urgent care. I certainly think it's reasonable to go if you have an urgent complaint and you don't know, don't 
know what to do or your primary care is not yeah. open. But I would say default to your primary care. What do you think? I would agree too. And I think, I guess it depends on what the triage system is of making an appointment. Like, is it something that you, you know, do they have abil- availability to schedule appointments online? Like if you call the office, are you going to speak to a human being, whether that's a front desk person or whether that's, um, you know, a, a physician extender type person, like a nurse or a medical assistant or a PA or an athletic trainer or something that maybe that person could help you answer that question um, without you coming in? Or could you potentially do a telehealth visit? Because that's maybe more squeeze-inable. Um, I like that word. Well, then, squeeze-inable. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think this is a situation where it's your uncomfort level of how how worried you are and how much you f- kind of feel like being a, a, a you know, um, a wheel that needs to be greased um, and kind of, I know that's a hard thing for me to do is to ask for help at all. <laughs> and then also be, you know, the squeaky wheel of like, well, can they um, maybe just see me today? You know, there's no harm in asking the no. worst case scenario is just going to say no, or, you know, or sometimes it'll be like, well, no, you know, Dr. Allen doesn't have any availability today, unfortunately, but like, if you're willing to see their partner or see blah, 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 like usually there's workarounds to, if you are concerned, I would, I would agree with you definitely, Jeremy. Like, if you have a concern, I would try our your best to try to get in with your primary care's office, whether that's with your person or if they have a, an availability with a, a different partner in their group. I would I would do that. Um, and then, I, not that I'm trying to crap all over urgent care. It's just, you're right. Like, I, I wonder if because they don't really know a lot of your history, it may be, you know, you might not get the full answer of what you're looking for. Well, the hard truth is, is that urgent care is a for-profit industry, right? Mm-hmm. And so, it, and and that has been well established. And that's why a lot of the healthcare systems have created their own urgent cares to try to keep people out of those for-profit urgent cares. Mm-hmm. And so the only way that an urgent care can stay in business is to both treat patients, but honestly, to have them come back and also to get positive reviews. And so how do you get positive reviews? You tend to give out things, like you tend to do mm-hmm. things. So a lot of times if you go to an urgent care, like you're going to receive some sort of treatment that may or may not be necessarily necessary. And yeah. I'm not trying to say that it's like bad medicine or that somebody's doing malpractice. That is, that's no. far different. It's just a situation where like you'll probably get the antibiotic if you want it from the urgent care. Yeah. Is that right or wrong? I mean, in certain situations, it's hard to know. But like your primary sure. care is probably going to more times than not is going to be doing whatever's in the best interest for your health and also giving you a, a nice answer on kind of like, what do I do if it's not getting better? How do I get a hold of you? Like, what's the follow-up plan? And again, urgent yeah. cares don't give you follow-up plans because they're not intended to follow you up. It's right. meant to kind of like see you. So I, I the, the root of the question was, should I be asking my primary care for like same day appointments or trying to get in for things? And I think for acute problems, yes, your primary care, generally speaking, has baked in that into a schedule to have same day visits with you or a partner to do that. And if it's an acute problem that is a single problem, they'll more than likely be able to do that for you. And I think you should. Or at least, if nothing else, to have a discussion ahead of time. You know what I mean? Like, maybe it's just something that you wanted to speak to someone from their office about to be like, hey, this is my symptom and have a, a, like, is this something I even need to come in for? Like, I guess it just depends on the line of communication that your primary care provider 
has open? Like, do they have a patient portal? Can you ask questions? Is there uh, a nurse triage type person who's there to do that? My hope would be with most practices, the answer would be yes, but I guess that's not always the case. And if you feel like, you know, you're the availability of your person is super important and you really want somebody to have that you can, you know, talk to them in a very timely fashion and get in in a very timely fashion, then I would consider looking into a concierge physician. I mean, I don't know. like <laughs> That's part of the reason why those exist. That's not really answering Rose's question, but I feel like there's tiers of availability of everybody. And I think if you can be a bit, you know, in certain cases, depending on your access and insurance, you might be able to be a bit more picky in a sense, or, you know, like it is a bit of a, it could be a bit of a buyer's market. Yeah. I like the relationship between the patient and the doctor. And I think most patients like having continuity, whether it be yeah. with their orthopedist or their obstetrician or their primary care doctor. And so again, like if I had a problem, I'd want the same person to be seeing it over and over and over again. So I have this nice rapport and I trust them yeah. um, versus I don't know what this person is on the other side. I don't, I don't know their history at all. Um, right. So uh, I have a good one from my friend, uh, Benji. This is a really good one. Okay. Hey, doctor friend. So I want to use some ibuprofen but I bought that giant bottle from Costco and it has since expired. Can I use expired ibuprofen? How is anybody expected to finish a bottle of ibuprofen that large? Is it really a family pack? Am I supposed to share it with neighbors? Well, one, don't share your medicine with other people. <laughs> if you can get away with it. I guess You're not getting I, invited giant, to those parties, those ibuprofen a, parties? <laughs> a giant bottle of ibuprofen is different than it's like, hey, I got this antibiotic from, yeah. from my UTI that I didn't finish. And you're like, no. No sharing. Yeah, I got yeah, these six. Uh, med I got these six meds. They're all expiring in like a month. You guys want to come over? <laughs> just, just <laughs> <to> the... <laughs> don't do that. We're those. we're kidding. No, don't, don't do, do that. that. Um. Yeah, I I would love to have a pharmacist's opinion on like what the expiration date really means. Like, are right. these things turning off <laughs> the day after? You yes. know, uh, the the expiration date. No, um, it's not like eating an egg. <laughs> a month after its expiration date where like there's risk of harm to you. Yeah. I think, I think the understanding would be like, maybe this over time is less potent than it was before. But my personal, like if I, if I wanted to take an ibuprofen and I looked at it and it expired six months ago, I'd be like, I'm still taking it. I don't care. It's probably going to have pretty normal efficacy. And it's, it's not like it turns into something else. It's not like a Cinderella situation where after midnight, it turns into a pumpkin. <laughs> That's good. So ibuprofen, it might just not work as well. The but Cinderella I think, effect. I think the, the 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 lifespan of it, and I'm sure different drugs are different, but it's probably way longer than what the the expiration date is. I, yeah. I don't know. What would you do? That's good. So so first part being serious. Hmm. It, Drug expirations are not the same as food expirations. Yes. So like when a food expires, the concern is GI illness. Like I'm going to get right. like goes salmonella or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> right. When a pill illness. goes bad, the concern is that it's just not going to be efficacious. It's not going to work. Right. And so if you take a med that prevents seizures and your seizure medication has expired, probably not ideal. You're yeah. kind of banking on the fact that it's still going to work. When you're taking ibuprofen, it's not a life-sustaining medication. And mm -hmm. most of the reason you're taking it, if it doesn't work, it's not going to be the biggest deal in the world. Yeah. You can probably take it. Most of the time, it's just like what you're risking is that it's just not going to do anything. Right. Um, and I I don't know the answer on like 
how long are they good after the expiration date? Why right. do they come up the expiration date that they did? And that kind right. of thing. So that's, that's, that's a really good question that I don't have the answer to. It also reminds me of like, uh, there was a comedian one time who talked about like why milk has the expiration, expi- uh, expiration date on it that it does. And like, mm-hmm. how do they come up with that date? Does like the cow turn around and be like, Hey, that one's good till May 4th. You know, like, <laughs> it's like, you know, like who comes up with these dates? I, I and, and the answer is, is that there are scientists. But the point is, is like, it's funny to think about. Yeah. The last thing that I think is kind of really funny is I told him like, yeah, bulk ibuprofen is probably not ideal to like buy because like right. you feel the need to kind of use it. Sure. <laughs> you don't need to. Like, why are you taking no. so much ibuprofen? But my wife is going to kill me. She like a month ago came home with like the ibuprofen and the Tylenol from from Costco. And she's like, look, I got it at Costco. And I was like, oh, God. <laughs> I like it just like gotten through like like it's not probably not good to have that many pills around we're never going to go through this no amount of pills so yeah we're gonna throw a party we're gonna throw a pill party (laughs) it's the bargain hunter in us too it's like well if I only get the bottle of 30 it costs me nine bucks Mm -hmm. but if I get the bottle of 100 it costs me 12 bucks so hmm you know like I uh, guess in a weird world, if you wanted to share with your neighbors, but like not share with them, like in a party situation, but you're like, Hey, I'm going to buy this thing from Costco. You want half the bottle yeah, or like yeah, yeah. it comes in two bottles. Do you want one? And I'll take one and we'll split the right. price. So I guess that's the legitimate answer. But I love that question. Cause I feel like that probably comes up all the well, time. It comes up people. all the time. Exactly. Yeah. But I think the yeah, it's, it's not spoiled. It is probably <laughs> less efficacious. I got the shits the next day from my ibuprofen. <laughs> So, oh, so my, my tums are expired too. Yeah, my pee smells bad from my ibuprofen. <laughs> All right. That's probably a good way to wrap up this episode. <laughs> we don't have any other good ones? Oh, that's probably good. People have probably uh, uh, since <laughs> moved on to a different podcast. Thanks for hanging in there. Yeah, we appreciate you. How do you wrap um, up an entire year of our you know our inaugural year of podcasting? Although we're not at a one-year anniversary. It's just our first no, year, year no. change. Mm-hmm. Uh, you wrap it up by answering your friends' questions and rambling and having fun with people you love. Julie, this mm-hmm. is so much fun. I'm looking forward to 2023. We're going to actually have a few minutes to breathe and like yes. kind of think of some things for 2023 to see what we can uh, come back with. We have some ideas for January. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so please come back in January to see yeah. us. I don't well, know. I just, we just thought of some great ideas just from this dumb episode. Yes. So. <laughs> well, so excellent. One thing to know about January is, is that's usually about the time people start to come back and be like, I'm going to be healthier. Yeah. So we want to be a part of your journey. And mm-hmm. if you have certain questions, reach out because you can dictate what we're going to talk about, but we're going to, we're going to help you to a healthier 2023 but not only a healthier one one where you don't like waste your time on certain pieces of shit that are not gonna make you healthier right agreed couldn't have said it better myself uh anything planned for the the holiday break no uh and that's the point yes it's an actual (laughs) break Yes, totally. I'm excited. I used to make the the mistake of working all the way through the holidays, and then I stopped doing that because my brain didn't care for that very much. <laughs> so now I I take off some time in between Good for the holidays, you. and it's Good for you. and it's uh, glorious, and it usually is filled with catching up with friends and seeing my family and um and uh, watching a bunch of television shows that need me. They totally need you. Yeah, this is my first year with a school-aged child, so they get two Mm. weeks off, right? And so the second week or the first week after January, they are not in school, and so I'd have to find some childcare or something. So we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna vacation. Well, maybe you and Aaron could have like bullfights with your toddlers and see (laughs) test out some helmets. 
Yeah. Toddler, uh, uh, we've gone to birthday parties that are at like blow up things and watching Mm -hmm. toddlers run around and just like aimlessly throw their bodies is very, very interesting. (laughs) It's therapeutic. Yeah. Highly recommend. So, all right, guys, thank you for joining us for 2022. We'll see you back in the new year. Love you. Love you. (laughs) The amazing music is credited to Skillcell with Pixabay licensure. The podcast is meant for educational and entertainment purposes only. The contents of this podcast should not be taken as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others. Please consult a medical professional for any medical issues that you may be having. The contents of this podcast are the opinions of the hosts only and do not reflect the opinions of their employers or affiliations. This entire disclaimer also applies to any guests or contributors to the podcast. Under no circumstances shall Dr. Julie Bruni or Dr. Jeremy Allen or any guest to the podcast be responsible for damages arising from use of the podcast.